New Year. I guess this vicinity decided to sleep in, or they they, they stayed up for the ball to drop. Um, but anyway, glad that you are here. Just a, a quick update um, about our Lottie Moon uh, missions offering. Um, up to date, we have collected fifteen thousand seven hundred and ten dollars. So. <clears throat> So we rejoice in that. Our goal was 12000 but you know what that means. Next year, the goal can't be $12,000. Um, so if we give that much, we kind of set an expectation. And um, I know our college ministry, I think I said this last year, worked hard, um, did some projects. Um, they might have done landscaping in your yard. They did that in mine and some other people's. And I think they contributed between four and $5,000 to that offering. So that's our... So. Um, thank you, um, and thank you uh, for sacrificing, church family, for the gospel and investing and building treasure that lasts, that cannot be stolen, moth and rust cannot destroy. Well, we mark a new year, right? It's uh, the beginning of something new, um, and with every new beginning, as even Pastor Mike said, people look for opportunity uh, to better themselves. Maybe you're one of them. How many of you have a, a New Year's resolution, at least in plan? Okay, some of you. Some of you are like, I'm not ready to commit yet. You, you need to figure that out. That's today. Once uh, New Year's starts, usually these uh, resolutions, sometimes, uh, and I won't ask you what your resolution might be, but uh, is usually uh, something to do with fitness or dieting. Um, I saw a, a photo sent out yesterday. It was of a gym, empty, and it said, the calm before the storm. <clears throat> Maybe it's uh, prioritizing of family and friends. You reflect on the previous year and you say, you know what, I, I was too busy. Uh, maybe it's uh, quitting an unhealthy habit, smoking. Um, biting your nails, for some of you, picking your nose. Um, I, I see what happens on a Sunday morning. Maybe you've been in the stewardship class, and you're like, I'm going to get out of debt this year. I bought a new iPad or organizer. I'm going to organize my life. I'm going to put it on the calendar and start sticking to a schedule. Maybe you want to learn something new. You're going to learn a language. You're going to expand your skills. Maybe you're going to start a new job. I'm going to find a new job, and I'm going to find one that um, does what I hope to do. Have you ever wonder why you or so many people make New Year's resolutions? Why is it that at New Year we want to do something new? We want to change things. We want to... Um, make a difference in, in our life. Well, this is because universally, everyone wants to be happy, right? I think so, right? Yeah, we want to be happy. We want to use things like New Year's resolutions as opportunity to change our life for 2017. We're going to not look to the past. We're going to look to the future, and life is going to be happier because I made this change. In a real sense, the goal of finding happiness is what everybody on the face of the planet 
is seeking. Likewise, the path of happiness is what every philosophy and every religion is really offering, isn't it? Life works best according to this way, and this will make your life whole. This will give you meaning. This will give you purpose. This will cause the screens to stop flickering. I don't know why they're doing that. Everybody is looking for happiness. But the question remains, where will you find genuine and true happiness? How can you and I get on the path of a full life of blessing? It's my intention to draw our attention to the book of Proverbs, because Proverbs answers this question. How can I be happy? It doesn't say it in those exact terms, but that's really what Proverbs is getting at. And we see this um, in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 3. So if you aren't already in Proverbs, open up to Proverbs. Proverbs, if you just split your Bible right down the middle, you probably hit Psalms or Proverbs, and you're there. If you hit Psalms, just go to the right. Proverbs is addressing the wise sayings primarily of King Solomon. And these Proverbs promise to lead us on a path, a path to happiness, a path to blessedness. You could call it, it's something like the yellow brick road. You follow it and it will lead you to wholeness. And this is what we find um, in Proverbs, a description of what makes us whole description of what makes one blessed we see here that this path is called wisdom proverbs chapter 3 beginning in verse 13 blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are paths of peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, and those who hold her fast are called blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? means to be whole it means to find peace it means all these things a tree of life means to pleasantness you could put it in our terms happiness i want happiness will then find wisdom find wisdom for this morning we embark upon a journey through the proverbs this journey is going to take us about 14 or 15 weeks And my prayer for us as a church, and the reason I've I've decided to take us through Proverbs, is because I want us to heed wisdom's call. I want us to be a wise congregation. I want us to have wise leaders. I want us to heed the call to a blessed life. And having heeded that call, that we may offer that blessing to the world around us. That is what Proverbs is all about. And so this is the journey that we're on. We're going to kind of have an introductory message this morning. 
as we embark upon this path, this yellow brick road of wisdom, if you want to call it. But in order to begin this journey, we're going to have to answer a few questions, and that's my goal this morning. To answer three questions about Proverbs, and particularly as it concerns wisdom. And the first question is this, what is wisdom? If I need to get it, I better understand what it is. What is wisdom? And number two, next question we're going to look at is, who needs wisdom? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Chase, my life's pretty happy. My life is pretty blessed. And you may not think that you need wisdom. Well, we're going to find out who needs wisdom. And then number three, and this is where I hope we are by the end of the sermon this morning, is that we're answering the question, where can I get this wisdom? Where can I obtain it? If it is better than silver and gold, if it's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her, you're going to want to, want, want to know where you can get that, aren't you? Well, that's our agenda for this morning. And so that first question, what is wisdom? What would you say? If I said to you, what is wisdom? Well, in a sense, the word wisdom means skill or expertise. It means skill or expertise. Outside of Proverbs, it's, it's used in numerous places in the Old Testament. And it's used sometimes to speak of a technical or artistic sense of, of making clothes, like the, the garments for the priests. They were skilled in their trade. It could be you, you, one is skilled in government, in leading, in politics, Ecclesiastes 4.13. Someone is sometimes called skilled at war, fighting in battle. But here in Proverbs, wisdom means to be skilled at life, life skills. I don't think we talk like this anymore, but when I was in high school, it was cool to say, man, do you have skills? You know, this is what Proverbs is saying. Do you have skills or are you inept at life? That is basically the question. Do you have life skills? And one fuller explanation of wisdom in Proverbs is this. Wisdom signifies skillful living. And here's what this means. The ability to make wise choices and live successfully according to the moral standards of the covenant community. To the one who lives skillfully produces things of lasting value to God and to the community. Now that's kind of a fuller definition. I bet you don't remember all those things, so I tried to shorten it. What is just the, the, the real easy way to think of wisdom? Wisdom is the skill for living a blessed life designed by God. And every word there is important and strategic there. It's not just the skill for living a blessed life. It's not just skill for living. It's skill for living a blessed life designed by God. Designed by God. It's a whole life. It's a full life. It, it encompasses every aspect of your being and every facet of your life. This is why, as we read, wisdom is called the tree of life which should be dawning in your mind, Garden of Eden, should be dawning in your mind, new creation, resurrection, eternal life. That's why it says in her left hand, I think that's what it says, yeah, left hand are riches and honor, her ways are pleasantness and her paths are peace. This is the path to life eternal. And it's the application of life eternal for the present. 
and how to understand and begin living as God intended. It is Jesus' prayer and the Lord's uh, prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to understand what it's like to live now as God intended and as life is lived in the new heavens, in the new earth. This is what Proverbs does for us. And so when we come to Proverbs, and we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, it's going to set the stage, kind of a beginning preamble before you kind of get to the heart of Proverbs. But when we come to verse 2, we see what the purpose of Proverbs is. Look at verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. To know wisdom and instruction. This book is going to teach you what real wisdom is. If you apply yourself, if you meditate upon this book, if you absorb this book, you're going to know wisdom. And even here in these verses, wisdom is described by various other terms. And together these terms help kind of fill in the richness of what we mean by true wisdom. There's actually seven terms in these verses 1 through 7 that seek to describe and give a, a full orb definition of wisdom. It's like a jewel by which you look at it, there's wisdom, but the way you turn it and it reflects the light, it, it, it emphasizes another splendor, another beauty, another aspect of what it is. And when we compare these terms, we come to see that wisdom entails three main areas of your life. Number one, it engages the mind. Number two, it engages the heart. And number three, it infects the behavior. So it's mind, heart, and action. Wisdom isn't just one of those things, it's all three. And what we're going to find is the middle one, the heart, actually is the most important component of true biblical wisdom. Well, let's begin with the first one, though. How, what is wisdom and, 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 and how do we obtain it? It was, begins with the mind. Wisdom has an intellectual or cognitive component. You have to think if you're going to obtain wisdom. And I think this will be good for us because we're all different. Some of you are real analytical people, and you're going to be like, yep, this is wisdom. This is what it's all about. And some of you are like, no, that is not wisdom. That is dull and boring. And then we're going to flip on the other side, and we're going to talk heart. And you're going to be like, yes, that's my language. And then the analytical people will be like, goodness, you all are just not logical. Well, it's not an either or we're going to find out. Well, let's begin with the mind, though. This is seen in the words instruction. That's data. That's information, right? That's knowledge. And you see that in verses 4 and 7. Seeing this word knowledge. How do you receive such wisdom into your mind? Well, it's taught to you, isn't it? It's instructed. We're doing that right now. I hope you're getting wisdom. It's being taught and explained. You're disciplined in it. So you could understand wisdom as the discipline of knowing how life works. You could do it that way. What's your discipline? What's your skill in life? What's your trade? Well, wisdom, according to the Bible, is the discipline of knowing how life works. Well, how do you learn this discipline? Well, number one, it comes through teaching and instruction. And this is why throughout the Proverbs, we're called to hear. We're called to listen. We kind of get an idea of how the Proverbs were given. They were orally delivered. Oftentimes, their pithy sayings were, were enabled to help you memorize them so you would hear them and, and rehearse them and say them over and over and over again. 
And by the way, just kind of a, as a side note, uh, something practical that I would encourage you to start implementing, starting today, read a proverb a day. There's 31 proverbs. On Munster's 30 days, read two proverbs, okay, on the last day. But read a proverb a day and just wash yourself in them. That's what I do. That's where my main Bible reading comes every day. I start off, I read Proverbs and some Psalms. I read the Proverbs. Why? Because I want to be washed in it. I want to be soaked in it. I want it absorbing into me. I want to carry it with me. And so that's why the Proverbs ask you to heed, to listen, to, to learn. Later, wisdom is going to cry out, verse 23, and say, I will make my words known to you. Wisdom is words. Wisdom is information that you are going to have to comprehend. And you're going to have to apply. Another element of learning wisdom is through observation and experience. Listen to this proverb. Proverbs 24, 30 through 32. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Now listen to what he concludes. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. Here's what the Proverbs are going to do. You hear them, you begin applying them, you start seeing it in life. You start observing what is taking place. And you begin to see, up. Oh, that's the results of being a sluggard. That's the results of being hardworking. You begin to filter the experiences and observations of life, and you begin to learn wisdom. My wife and I, we like to watch Dateline Murder Mysteries. Um, they're real life, not fake TV, you know, it's not edited in any way. Um, but you know what Dateline is? If you've, you've ever talked to me, it's, it's Proverbs on display. That's it. And when we get to chapter 5 and the adulterous woman, everybody's murdered because they cheated. That is always the case. Every single time. Or they were greedy and they were seeking after money. It is Proverbs on display every week. Five o'clock, like when is it? Nine o'clock on Friday, something like that. Um, <clears throat> there, just observe, and you will see foolishness. Watch Hollywood. Watch interactions with others. Listen to music. Watch the movies and TV shows. Look at public figures. Just watch their life on display and put it through the grid of Proverbs, and you will learn wisdom. You will learn. It's very practical. Another way wisdom is obtained, and this is kind of a subset of observation, um, but kind of more on a personal level, personal experience. And this, kids, you, you might know this really well. And that is the discipline we learn physically through our parents and spankings. That's in Proverbs as well. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Parents, we teach our children through discipline. And it might, we'll see in Proverbs, it's not always the spanking. It's, it's other types of reproof, other types of correction. That's true for us as adults as well. We don't receive spankings, I hope not. But we should be getting reproof and correction so that we may learn wisdom as that reproof is coming out of the Word of God. 
But wisdom isn't merely or primarily intellectual. That's just a component of it. But rather, it's moral and a matter of a heart. Come back to Proverbs 1 if you turned away from there. And take note of verse 3. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Wisdom is going to help us in wise dealings. There's that living life wisely, making wise choices. But notice the realm of wisdom here, the sphere. What is surrounding these wise dealings? Well, it's righteousness, justice, and equity. See, true wisdom, wisdom that's going to bring true blessing and true happiness, understands virtue, understands principle understands what is good and right, what is beautiful, what is upright. Wisdom is this. Wisdom upholds righteousness. Well, what does that mean? This is the moral quality that establishes right order. So wisdom is going to actively produce the fruit of righteousness. We read that from the passage in Matthew 12, the tree that bears bad fruit of the tree that bears good fruit. The one whose heart is evil is going to produce what is unrighteous and evil, but the one who is good or wise will produce fruit. So this means this is an active engagement. It's not enough just to know what's right. It's to actively do what's right and produce righteousness. The other term is very close but has a slight nuance, justice. Wisdom is justice. What's justice? Justice refers to restoring right order when it's been disturbed. So not only are you actively producing righteousness, doing what is good, creating what is good and righteous and beautiful and right in order. Guys, if you don't have a calendar and you have any organization, that's right, good. That's, that's an example of it. But if your life is chaos, or somebody's life is chaos, righteousness has been disturbed, it is seeking to restore that. That's the gospel right there. Restoring righteousness. And then the final virtue here is of equity or fairness. Wisdom seeks equity. And this is a value of, of still, these are all in the same sphere, but doing right. And, and particularly as it will unfold in the Proverbs, it, it has the connotation of avoiding extortion and cheating people. Of doing whatever you want to do to get ahead, regardless of the effects it has on others. I love what Bruce Waltke, he is a, he's a, a, a gifted Old Testament scholar. I encourage you to read his work on Proverbs this is how he describes one who values true wisdom. He calls them the righteous. And he says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked, that's the fool, are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. So you might be really intellectually smart, but if it is not wisdom in your heart, it's not biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom says, I'm going to apply the skills of life to better others. And brothers and sisters, I bet we all got, uh, stabbed me in the heart right there, because I'm always looking out for myself, aren't I? Always seeking to advantage myself. But wisdom says, take your advantage and help the disadvantaged. That's what biblical wisdom looks like. 
often we think of wisdom is to be smart. And that might be what you thought of when I asked that question. What is wisdom? You might have said if we had a piece of paper, well, to be smart. But true wisdom is primarily moral. It's ethics. It's virtue. In church family, we live in a culture that does not value virtue. And I would, I, would, I would argue that it has even infiltrated the church. And this is how it shows up. It's called pragmatism. You know what pragmatism is? Pragmatism is the ends justify the means. If I've got a goal over here, let's say it's a noble goal, good things. It doesn't matter how I attain it so much as I attain it. Or this result comes about. So let me ask you. Can you do what is righteous, just, and fair by abandoning virtue? Will righteousness, justice, and equity come about if you pursue it through unrighteous means? Wisdom says no. Oh, you might get a short, on the short end, on the the small scale, in the temporal perspective, you might find, oh, it worked. It was great. But ultimately, is it lasting? Jesus puts it just the same as as you think of it in the money context. Do not store up treasure on earth. Wisdom's going to speak to every realm of life. How we think about our money, how we raise our kids, how we engage society. Do we do it through virtue? Or do we say, well, that's really not important. As long as we get to the end goal. Behavior is the third area that wisdom kind of um, describes. And these words that describe our behavior is in this text are understanding, discretion, prudence, and insight. You might see those words scattered throughout verses 1 through 7. So this is what wisdom is. It's, it's, it's knowing, it's, it's, it's a virtue, it's moral values, but it's also affecting your behavior. It's now controlling your actions, and it's the ability now to apply these things to life. That's what the end of verse 2 is talking about when it says to understand words of insight. Insight is discretion. It's guidance. It's, 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 It's weaving through the mud. It's filtering through things. Look again in in, uh, in verse 6. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. I'm going to unpack that here in just a minute. Understanding wisdom is the ability to apply it to your life. You're not wise if it just remains inside you. It must permeate outside of you and begin to bless there comes back to that i'm advantage i have this wisdom now i'm going to help those who don't i'm going to help those who don't another component then of how this is going to affect our behavior is as you read proverbs it begins to teach you how to read the proverbs that's what verse six is all about to understand a proverb and a saying. That's one of the purposes of Proverbs is to understand Proverbs. That kind of sounds circular. How's that going to work? Well, you begin reading it. And, and think of Proverbs as like this pool of wisdom. And you're going to go, whoa, head first diving in. And what happens? It rushes over you. It begins to seep in your, your pores. 
And now you begin thinking like Proverbs because it's all around you. See, it's bigger than just our mind. It's going to teach you how to read. For instance, Proverbs can be misused. Did you know that? Proverbs can be misused. Listen to Proverbs 26.7. Like a lame man's legs, which hang uselessly. Picture this. Lame man's legs, they do not work, okay? Like a lame man's legs, which hang uselessly, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So here it is. You might have them all memorized. And you might be able to spit them all out, but you are as uh, you're as productive as a man with lame legs if you don't have the full orb of wisdom. It hasn't permeated your heart. It doesn't affect your behavior. You must be able to apply it. Moving forward, Proverbs are often misunderstood because people woodenly read them without any flexibility. They don't understand the, the nature of Proverbs. And so I'm going to read you one that can, could land you in jail if you take it just a little too far. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Well, this is true. If you are tempted to say, you know, I, we, I, I don't want to hurt my child at all, so I'm never, my spankings are, uh, you know, I don't want them to hurt. Well, then you're not going to save their soul for, and learn, teach them anything. Don't be afraid to get a little redness there. But wisdom says you can easily move from discipline to abuse, right? You begin to take that, oh, okay, Andrew, batter up. You know, that, that, that's not going to work. That's foolishness. Wisdom, the Proverbs are going to teach you nuance. How does this apply in that situation? You might find that spankings aren't the best route for your child. Because that actually causes them to be exasperated even more, and now you have to adjust your parenting. This is you advantage helping the disadvantaged. The prideful one says, well, this is the right way, this is my way, and you will adjust. Well, good luck with that. I bet life really works well for you when you act like that. Here's another one. Um... Proverbs 22, 6. This is a great promise. Great promise. Train up the child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is a precious truth. And what we find in Proverbs is that you're going to find this is generally how life works, but there are so many other variables and circumstances that Proverbs are going to address. If you just take one without taking the whole, you just memorize one, you can misuse it. And that has been used to harm parents, whose children may have gone wayward, and they say, oh, I guess you didn't train up your child in the way you should go. And you come across as the wise one, but actually you're destructive. You're unloving. It might be the case they didn't do that, but you need to look at the full orb of the life. Apply more than one proverb to the situation. We see that wisdom is trying to teach us how to read in, in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, because it says, Two things that are contradictory if you just take them. You've heard this one. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Okay, so take that proverb. If I see a fool, do not answer him as he's spouting off or she's spouting off for foolishness, or else you will become a fool. And then the next verse, verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest 
he be wise in his own eyes. Okay, so which one is it? Proverbs is going to teach you when do you speak up and when do you keep your mouth shut. That person's not ready to hear from me. That fool's not ready. That fool is. You learn how to speak. Proverbs 15, 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. Do you know a, rebru- a reproof can be a joy if it's delivered rightly? If it's all about wisdom. You might have the right answer, but if you deliver it with scorn and hate, and they don't feel that you actually love them, well, it will not land well. Gracious answer turns away wrath. Proverbs is going to help us in how to work through and engage in problems and interact with people. And guys, if you're in leadership, guys and gals in the church, this will be so valuable to us especially as we seek to motivate and lead others in our church. We have various levels of leadership, and all of us need to heed these words. Because sometimes we, we sometimes need to bring a word of correction, but we do it in a way that's never going to be received. So in sum, what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge. It is virtue, and it is discretion. That's what wisdom is. Knowledge, virtue, and discretion as defined by God. So the next question, who needs wisdom? You might be looking at the clock and saying, man, you're not going to make it. The other two are shorter. Who needs wisdom? Well, certainly everybody does, right? We'd say everybody does. But Proverbs gets a little more specific than that. And the primary audience of this book are youth, young people. And some of you are saying, well, you're one of those. That's right, I, I am. But the the term for youth here, simple ones as we're going to see, described a person who had yet not reached his 30s. So I'm now the old person, um, at least in some of your eyes. The simple one, the youth, the naive. You see him in verse 4. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. This is the one who is easily influenced. They're, they're in the stage of life where they're open to everything. The younger they are, certainly more that is true, but the older they get and the closer they become to getting up into those uh, adult years, midlife years, the less open they are, right? Some of you are saying, I'm not listening to anything you say because you're closed. Some of you, hopefully, are still open. This is the simple. They're easily influenced. They're easily guided. And Proverbs is written to them. This was to Solomon's sons. You see it in verse 8, hear my son. Mom and dad, this, this, this is a tool. This is training your children up in the way of the Lord. Proverbs. It is summarizing God's truth in a memorable way for your youth. Joshua, this is what we are pushing with our children and and students so that they may learn discretion and wisdom. However, if you're not a child, it doesn't mean you're excluded. Look in verse 6, 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. So yes, this is primarily for 
children, but if you're already in that category of wise, you're, you're experienced, you have appropriated wisdom, Solomon's saying you haven't arrived. Increase in learning. And the one who has understanding, obtain guidance. And that's a similar word to verse 2, words of insight. That's discretion, how to navigate life at your new stage of life. Every decade's different, isn't it? Every decade you have to learn because everybody else is changing. And if you don't change, if you don't adapt, well then you won't be skilled at life. We're always adapting because life isn't static. So throughout the book, even when Proverbs are addressed to Solomon's children, it's also implicitly talking to all of us. So look in verse 8. Verse 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Who's Solomon talking to? He's talking to his son. Hey, listen to your mother and father. But what is Solomon assuming about mother and father? That they're wise. That they are going to lead their children in the path to wisdom. So even as these things are primarily targeted at younger folks, the question that all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in, is saying, am I doing those things? Am I modeling this? Have I appropriated this? Is this just mental? Is this just heart and mind? Has it affected my behavior? We're always going to be asking ourselves these questions. So finally, I hope you're saying, so how do I get this wisdom? How do I get it? Well, in verse 7, Solomon gives us the starting point. The foundation, if you want to call it. Look in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge is just a, a one element of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, you could put it. And that beginning here is not like the beginning of a race where you enter the line and then it says start and then you cross the line and you go on. That's not the type of beginning he's talking about. It's more like a foundation to a house, a foundation to a building. It is what everything in your life will rest upon, the fear of the Lord. And so what is the fear of the Lord? Does it mean to be terrified of God? Not exactly. I like how Charles Bridges put it. The fear of the Lord is that affectionate, you hear that, heart language, affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his Father's law. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Do you fear the Lord in every component of your life? And I want you to see how all those three areas of the mind, heart, and action are here in defined in the fear of the Lord. We see it here in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, what about virtue? Flip over to Proverbs 8, 13. And we have the same phrase. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So that's what fear of the Lord is, too. What about 9.10? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And here's behavior. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
How do you have insight into what's going on around you? The fool is the one, or the one who acts foolish, is the one who does not have wisdom. And brothers and sisters, you may be a Christian, that means you're not a fool. Okay? If you're a Christian, you're not a fool. But as Christians, we can act foolishly. And the foolish actions are when we go out into the world and we're swimming in that pond and we cannot have any insight and no discernment. We just absorb it all in. Oh yeah, that's great. You're still the simple one. And Proverbs is saying, you don't want to remain simple. It's cute when the kids are simple, isn't it? When they ask the questions that are clearly, they are so, um, so um, um, in the stage of life that they can be easily molded and influenced. But you find someone who's later in their years and they're still living like a child. It's sad. And they never move to wisdom. So if you're a youth here today, especially those of you who are in your teenage years, you're, you're, you're beginning to leave mother and father. You're halfway there to 30. To where you'll learn you know nothing. That's why I read Proverbs every day. And Proverbs is going to lead you on the path of life. And it's going to call out to you. And it's going to warn you, if you abandon me, your life will be destroyed. That's what Proverbs says. And are you going to be wise enough to discern that's the lady folly calling? Or are you going to be wise enough to hear, oh, there's lady wisdom. I'm listening to her. So what's the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is coming to Christ. Do you know Christ? Have you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because in Christ are all the hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, 3. That's where all this wisdom is personified in Christ. That's why in that passage in Matthew 12, when the Pharisees give us a sign, and he says, the queen of Sheba came to see Solomon in all his wisdom, and I tell you, someone greater than Solomon is here. Proverbs point us to Christ. In just a moment, we're going to transition. Actually, now we're going to transition to the Lord's Supper. And what we're going to see in the Lord's Supper is wisdom. The gospel displayed. A gospel that doesn't just appeal to our minds. Yes, there's, there's, the, there's the bread that's broken, the, the, the juice that is that represents blood, but you, what? You eat it. You drink it. You taste it. You experience it. We do it together, which means we don't do life alone. This is what the Lord's table is. So guys who are going to come, come. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And all are invited to the table. The invitation, the call is going out. But this dinner invitation has a dress code. It says you must come with robes of righteousness. You must come with robes of righteousness. Not a righteousness of your own, but a robe provided for you. A robe of righteousness provided in Christ. How do you put that robe on? You repent of your sins and you trust Christ and you publicly profess it through the waters of baptism.
And if that's you today, if you have repented of your sins, you have confessed it, you have declared to the world through the waters of baptism, you are welcome to the banquet. If you have not, we ask that you would learn wisdom today by observing. Watch as we worship and appropriate the gospel to our life and we're calling you, heed wisdom. Listen to wisdom. Come and join us by turning down the path of destruction and turning to the path of life. We're going to sing songs as we take the Lord's Supper. And uh, there they are. All right. <laughs> it's New Year's. I guess everybody's up late. And so let's ponder these things as the bread is passed out. And then you can distribute the bread.